Hello, welcome back to Catapult Your Career, uh, where we delve into the reality of various careers and explore practical advice for numerous professions. Um, and in this episode, we're uh, focusing again on another different career. Uh, we're focusing on the world of audiology. Um, and I have none other uh, than a really good friend and former colleague uh, in Nicola Yarnell. So how are you, Nicola? I'm very well, thank you. Thanks for inviting me on. Thank you. Thank you for, for coming. Um, and of course, you're you're here as you're uh, going to speak about your your breadth of experience as an audiologist, um, and you've kind of done it in various guises, various roles. Um, but just to start us off, why don't you kind of just give us a brief introduction to yourself and your your background? Okay, thank you. So um, yeah, I'm Nicola. I started my journey as a student audiologist back in 1988. So before you were born, I, I do want to say it. I did. <laughs> You knew I was going to say it, so you, but yeah. I can honestly say it is something I've enjoyed from the day I started and still currently enjoy nearly 35 years down the line. So I, you know, I'm pleased to be able to speak about it really because it's a role that I fell into. Um, I'd left school, had no idea what I wanted to do, just did my GCSEs. Um, <clears throat> I went and worked in an office. Um, because you used to just literally go through the, the, the newspaper and find your the job adverts, apply for jobs. I went to work in an office, quickly decided that wasn't for me. Mm -hmm. And my mum worked in the hospital, in the local hospital. And she said to me that there's a student's post going in the, in the office over the road. So um, she arranged for me to have a, just a day shadowing, just observing what they do. And um, so I went and spent a day in the hearing aid department and I absolutely loved it. I thought it was, yeah, it was, it was, it was scientific. It was people orientated. It was the team who worked there were really interesting. Um, so I applied for the student position um, and was accepted and started my college journey. And, and that's where it began. I mean, it's something that's now, it's been called various things. When I first joined, it was called a physiological measurements technician. Right. Then I was called medical technical officer, yeah. and now we're under the healthcare science um, branding, and we're a specialist in audiology. Okay. Um, and you know, to me, it is one of the specialities that can that starts from. So, hearing now is screened at birth. That is screened as soon as six hours after the baby is born. So we're in there as one of the very first things, testing someone's hearing from, at six hours old. And we, we could be with that person until the day they die. Mm. Um, so it's, it's, it's um, unbelievable, I think. Um, I've, I've, I work with both ends of the spectrum. I've um, been um, in charge of the newborn hearing screening program locally within Mid-Essex when it first um, came out in 2004. And so I've been there sort of testing babies hearing at birth, picking up if they've got a significant hearing loss, sharing that with the families and fitting the hearing aids to those babies, seeing mm -hmm. those babies here for the first time in their life, being part of their journey. And because I've been around such a long time, I've even now worked with those children I've diagnosed with a hearing loss and fitted hearing aids to and gone through their school life I've worked with them because they've been to speech therapists say for instance so um 
I can't think of many other specialities that you would have that experience. Yeah. Um, but but audiology is something that's assesses hearing, it assesses balance systems, um, and other other associated things like tinnitus, like hyperacusis, which is a sensitivity to loud sound. Um, it, it, we assess people who have got misophonia, so those people that hate the sound of people eating, for instance. Yes. Can't, you know, can't even some people can't even be bear to be in another room with somebody if they can hear them eating. You know, it, it impacts our life so much. Um, we also fit so as well as diagnose hearing loss, we manage hearing loss as well. So we'll um, assess if somebody needs surgery to improve their hearing. They might need a hearing aid. They might need a cochlear implant. They might need a bone anchored hearing aid. There are so many different aspects of audiology. I'm still learning now, almost 35 years down the line. Mm. Um, and I'm, I'm still loving it. So um, I think if you are science-based um, but still want to be with people, um, you can go into research as well, of course. Um, but I think it's something that could interest a lot of people if they know about it. Yeah. You know, it's it's one of those um jobs that unless you've been part of it or unless you know someone that's in it, you don't really hear about it very often. Um no. so keen for this to be shared really, so that people can get to know about it because audiology is something that's never going away. Um people need to have their hearing assessed, they need to be looked after. Um uh, and a, particularly with an aging population. We need to make sure that people, you know, have their hearing improved as much as it can be. It helps with dementia. Um, it, there's a lot of research now showing that people with untreated hearing loss are more likely to have, have the effects of dementia. Um, all sorts of things. Yeah. And there's, I can, I think everyone, including me, who's listening is probably thinking, I can see why Michael invited Nicola onto the podcast. <laughs> Because you're, I have just learned when to stop talking about. No, no, it's all good, but it, it's it's um it's genuine, you know. It, your joy and your passion for the career is, is a reason why I asked you to to come on. And I think, you know, based on what you just said, that's exactly the premise of this podcast to share things wider. Because, you know, we 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 snigger at like, oh, people, you know, you can some people won't even know what a lawyer is or or bankers or stuff like that. You think, you know, that can't be possible but if some people don't even know what kind of those those careers and those paths are you know it's even more unlikely they're going to they're know what an audiologist is um, <laughs> and people might be really well suited for those those careers and those paths but you know it's always hard to do what you can't see or you what you can't hear hmm. uh, and you know like you, you hit the nail on the head the premise of this podcast is twofold really one to kind of interview quote unquote careers to kind of share that that understanding to others who maybe are stuck in a, a, a rut in terms of their jobs and actually find out about other paths that they can transition into. And then equally, some episodes are more focused on uh, wider topics like values or tips to transition careers. So, you know, it, it's really good to have you here and kind of share your your experience. And and you mentioned, you started touching on some of the roles. What, if you could take us through, like, because audiology is obviously quite a big field in itself. What what are some of those roles from more like an entry level to, to perhaps where, where you are now in a in a more senior position? Yeah, so to be a, a that you've got two different routes, I guess. You've got the sort of private hearing aid dispenser route, 
which you can go down um, and you can go and work for just, you know, the, the big hearing aid dispensing companies, boots, spec savers, that sort of thing. They'll have their own training program. And then you've got what I would call, because this is where I come from, a medical audiologist. So you work more in a hospital based NHS setting and you can access that now. I mean, when I was doing it, it was a day release at college. It's not like that anymore. It's a it's a degree. But there are apprenticeship routes as well. Um, mm -hmm. I mean, it will vary across the country. Um, if you've already got a degree, there's a master's route and you can go on to do a PhD. Um, but there's also the sort of he newborn hearing screener roles or the hearing care assistants are a sort of a lower level than a degree level. So there are all other, other avenues into it. Um, and to be a newborn hearing screener, it's the most lovely job. You work on a maternity unit and you literally go around and with, with specialist automated equipment and you test baby's hearing all day. The equipment does everything for you um, and you can access that at a GCSE level. Mm. Um, and you're trained. That there's a national program that, that provides a training and you train in the role. Um, so there's that. You've got hearing care assistance. You've got that in both private industry and, and national health quite often. Um, and then you've got the traditional audiologist, um, as it is now, with going to going to university, doing your three year degree, and then coming out of that, and then going into a sort of a a newly qualified role. Yep. Um, and then you would be taking part in um, working in ear, nose, and throat clinics and testing people's hearing when they're there to see a doctor. Um, you'd be fitting hearing aids, testing testing people's hearing, see if they need a hearing aid doing hearing aid repair clinics um, and hearing aids now are really quite complicated, really sophisticated si uh, systems that require a lot of digital programming. Um, and that in itself is a whole other science to doing the hearing test. So um, there, it's, it's a very wide, I suppose, um, service and, and you can, you can specialise. So you could go into, you know, paediatric audiology, which I, I do as well, mm -hmm. um, where you specialise in testing children and babies um, yeah. from zero to, to 18. And depending on a person's development or their ability and their age, depends on what type of testing you can do. Um, and some of it has to be objective and some of it, um, and much of it is subjective and depends on um, behavioural responses and all sorts of things. Yeah. So um, as, as then people get older um, or the, and their development allows that to come on, then, they, you know, it's a traditional headphones on, press a button when you hear a, hear a sound type thing. But you're measuring someone's sort of sensitivity to see what is the quietest sound that they can hear across various frequencies and then determining is their hearing within the normal range. If it isn't, then what part of the hearing system is that hearing loss coming from hmm. and then depending on where the hearing loss is coming from depends on what you can do to treat it so it's it's quite a sort of systematic approach um and then you know that takes you down whether it's surgical medical hearing aids what type of hearing aid um depends on what type of hearing loss cochlear implants all sorts of other middle ear implants. There's a variety of stuff out there and it is constantly changing. Yeah. 
So yeah. um, it's quite incredible what's available. Not all of it's available on National Health. Some of it is specialist. Um, and some of it, you know, you have to meet criteria to be to be able to have it. But it's, it is, you know, a huge, huge, vast array of stuff that you can get involved in. Um, and one of my sort of favourite jobs, and it'll be something that some people either love it or hate it, is, is wax removal as well. Because <laughs> earwax is a problem and causes a lot of hearing problems. Yep. And actually, one of the things I've gone into is microsuction earwax removal. And it is the best part of my week. <laughs> because it is the most satisfying, people love having it done because they walk into your clinical room, can't hear... You know, their ears feel terrible. They can hear their own voice in their head. They're really uncomfortable. You take all the wax out and they walk out and they, you know, absolutely feel like a completely different person. They can hear again. Their ears feel lovely. They haven't got that pounding noise. Um, and uh, it's, it's weirdly, out of all the stuff that I've done, people tell me they love me once, once they've had it done. So, oh, I I could see why you're doing it then, if they're yes. <laughs> all, all these all these compliments and and I think you know there's this I I I can see how it can be like satisfying and you know there are the the weird people in the world who like the popping pimples and all that stuff. I <laughs> don't like that. Exactly. <laughs> so I I can see I can see why where where it happens, but you know I suppose it is underrated in terms of like your hearing. Um, you know, if you can simply in the space of like half hour hour, if that. Um, change it for someone's ability to actually hear mm. uh, because you, it's underrated actually how much of an impact you can have on somebody's life um, and you right. mentioned right at the beginning about it being people orientated I think that's a common theme that comes through yes there's a very much a systematic and sciencey approach that kind of comes to treating people but there's very much at the very core of what you're doing it's always dealing with people isn't it it is and it's not just the person and then giving them a hearing aid and it makes it better it's the family around them and how they communicate with that person. It's act, that person being able to access work, being able to access education. Um, you know, we've got teachers of the deaf that we work alongside. We've got um, interpreters, all that sort of thing. So it's, it's, it's having that sort of knowledge of all the other bits that come with it mm. um, to enable that person to hear and to live as well as they possibly can. And um, you know, it's vitally important because if you don't, then that person can't access education, work, social events, that sort of thing. And then, you know, that, that can have a real impact on someone's life, their mental health, their, you know, mental well-being, all of that um, can be impacted. So if you can get that right at the start, yeah, um, and particularly for children that are at school, you know, we see a lot of children with glue ear, with temporary hearing loss. They can get speech delay, they get behind at school, all sorts of stuff. If we can diagnose them correctly, give them the right strategies to enable them to overcome it, then the impact of it is nowhere near as, as, as it would be without. Hmm. So, um, you know, you're working with parents to work with the schools, to work with the child, to, to do all sorts of stuff to enable them to hear as well as they can. Yeah, no, definitely. Yeah. And, and you, it's a real... Like you say, it's a real ripple effect that you cause. Like it might be one small action that's taken for granted, but it, it, it acts as an enabler for education, mental, society, you know, socialising and all the rest of it. Um, 
and and you kind of mentioned quite a few of different tasks i suppose for an audiologist um who, who was in that role what if you could like i know it's a, a bit of a rough question but like what would you say the average week looks like for an audiologist what are some of like the tasks and things they they could maybe be doing in in the average week so i mean it depends because there are many different areas of audiology that you can work in but i suppose in my experience when i've worked in hospitals or community settings it's having you are an autonomous clinician you are working as on your own in terms of you have your own patient list mm-hmm. um you will be you know taking the medical history doing hearing tests looking at people's ears so you're doing the diagnostic part of it and then you're interpreting the results and then you're discussing the outcome of those results with the patient and their family. And then you're agreeing a treatment plan. So it's the whole thing. Mm-hmm. So it could be, you know, when you get to a certain, probably a senior audiologist, you're doing that. Before that, you're probably assisting um, other audiologists or you're assisting a, a doctor. So you're doing the testing part and then handing the patient over then for the other bits to be done. Or you could be um, fitting hearing aids. So all of the testing's been done. Um, and then somebody's coming in to have a hearing aid fitted for the first time. So you're going through making sure the hearing aid's performing as it should do in that ear and you have to do certain um, tests to do that. You're then explaining to the person how to wear it, how yep. to put batteries in, how to clean it, how it's going to work in the outside world, which is actually quite noisy that you've not heard for a long time. So, so as much as it's scientific, it's also a bit of counselling, um, uh, and you have to utilise a lot of different skills, really. Um, showing how someone how to put put a hearing aid in, um, all sorts of stuff. Um, so, and also giving somebody the confidence to wear it, because the trouble is that the hearing aids often have a stigma attached to it that they it's only old people that you know it shows I'm getting old type thing. Mm-hmm. But that's not necessarily the case. You know, hearing aids can be fitted at, you know, or needed but from birth and can, and a hearing loss can come on at any time up until the day we die. So it's not typically old age. But unfortunately, that stigma is still around. Um, now that hearing aids are getting better, I mean, when I first started, hearing aids were, you know, could almost be worn on a belt with a wire up and, and a receiver in the ear. And uh, that's what I think people often remember that before that was ear trumpets and all sorts of things. But now, you know, things have moved on massively. You can get hearing aids you can barely see. You can get the tiniest of little devices um, that that are very comfortable and are not old fashioned beige looking things. They're, you know, quite sophisticated, really. Um, But. They need to be a certain size because there's a lot. It's, it's also they're almost like a mini computer. Because what a hearing aid will do is you will input into the hearing aid what the hearing loss is. There will be prescription added to that that result, and the hearing aid will then assess the sound coming in. It knows what your hearing is like. It alters the the you know amplifies what it needs to amplify and sends it back into your ear. So it's very complicated. And it has to cope with all the background noise and all sorts of things, sudden loud sounds, quiet sounds. So it's a very, very, yeah, 
it, it, it makes me kind of think about even like AirPods. Obviously, they're not the same kind of principle, but some of the most modern AirPods, like you can have um, transparency mode and all the rest of it, where they listen to the sound coming in. So you could be at like a rock concert or something front row, and it's like like roaring loud. If it's on a certain mode, it will listen to the sound, and in like a split second, it will dumb that sound down. So then when you hear it in your ears, it's yeah. at a more manageable level. Yeah, that's right. It sounds quite familiar, really, to... To how a hearing aid operates yeah and, and i suppose just just further on that kind of switching focus i suppose back to to the people who are listening who are you know they're hearing the different aspects different um what an average week looks like for an audiologist perhaps they've heard some of the educational requirements and they think you know they hear it's people orientated and they're actually quite keen on maybe find out a bit more information or pursuing this career you, you started to talk about skills for an audiologist and obviously there's there's various different roles in audiology and the biggest one was kind of communication that you kind of spoke a lot about and helping almost coach and counsel people along that journey to feel comfortable wearing uh, hearing aids or, or, or doing other things. What, what, what do you think are some of the, the other skills or traits that are, um, you know, would kind of suit someone quite well to, to enter in that, that industry? There's definitely the scientific sort of mind that you need because um, you're dealing with decibels, Mm -hmm. um, how can I describe it really uh, you know when you're measuring someone's hearing you need to take into account you know frequencies all that sort of thing intensity you know the equipment we use so it's quite practical in terms of you know we use an audiometer or we use it software through a computer um, to test people's hearing we calibrate equipment um, so it's quite an equipment heavy service so you have to be quite good, dexterous, all that sort of thing. Um, what else? As much as your people skills, as much as your analytical brain, because you need to work out, you know, what are your results telling you? You need to be able to work with people to enable them to perform the test. That sure. is not always easy. Yeah. Um, so it's having good sort of skills in able to, to sort of yeah work with different people at different levels, different languages. Um, and then it's also the sort of counselling side of it as well, because you've then got to almost break bad news sometimes. Mm. You know, that, you know, I've been in a situation where, you know, I've had to give parents of newborn babies news that their baby is profoundly deaf. And um, that's really hard, Yeah, really hard. And you also, you could be telling, you know, somebody uh, that, that thinks their hearing loss is temporary that isn't. It's a permanent hearing loss. This is never going to get better. Um, and that can be, you know, quite devastating. So it's having that compassion and and stuff to put yourselves in that position and yeah. to try and do your best for that person to make their life as good as it can be and that make them see that, you know, this is not the end of the world. This is what we're going to do. And I suppose through my experience, I know that if we diagnose a baby with a hearing loss very early and we put the hearing, you know, hearing aids on, all that sort of thing to enable them to, to hear as best as they can, to put the speech therapy in place, to put the support in place, they are more likely to be keeping up with their peers um, and still to be going into mainstream school and still to be doing all those things that you would expect as a parent. So, um, you know, and I've seen children come through it, mm. whereas probably early on in my career when babies weren't picked up at birth, 
and they weren't picked up till they were two or three years of age, there was a massive delay and there were speech difficulties. So um, I suppose it's being able to share with parents and reassure them that, you know, we can do something about this. Definitely. We can support you and good things will still come. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and I think that's, uh, yeah, that's a really kind of core. It just reinforces what you said about the role being people orientated and you would associate most kind of health and social care roles being that, but that's a real like practical and tangible example, I suppose, of how people can put themselves in the shoes if they were to pursue a career in audiology, like the vast range of conversations they might have. And that is actually a, a very realistic conversation that might happen um, when they have to kind of give and break that bad news. And it kind of links very nicely, I suppose, onto an element I was wanting to cover in terms of the most perhaps rewarded and most challenging aspects of audiology. And that you there, you kind of articulate quite a, a challenging, perhaps, t um, element. I suppose, what, what are some others you think that are quite, you know, the, the rewarding and challenging bits of the, the, of the role of audiology in terms of the various roles you, you've had? I think in terms of rewarding, the best thing is being able to give people answers. Mm. Quite often people have experienced problems themselves for a long time. It takes people a while to actually action it, go and see their GP, say there's something wrong, and then be referred to somewhere. Uh, and then you sit down with them and say, yeah, well, look, this is where your hearing is now. This is where it should be. This is what I think you're going to have the problems. You know, this is what th these are the problems you're going to find. And they go, yeah, I thought I was going mad. Mm. You think, no, absolutely not. You're no, you're missing out on this. Um, this is the consequences it can have. This is what we can do about it. You know, so a lot of people really struggle um, and don't say anything for a long while. So they struggle at work, um, can't quite hear conversations because the office is busy. And they'll often excuse that well, I can hear that bit all right, but I can't hear that bit. So it can't be my hearing. Um, it must be something else. Mm. And it suddenly dawns on them when, you know, when you go through a diagnosis that, yeah, I, I wasn't going mad. But they might have spent two two years going through a difficult phase and it might have impacted on their work life quite, you know, and their family life or whatever, quite a lot. So I think the rewarding part of it is helping people to see, you know, that there is a problem. They haven't been going mad. Um, <laughs> and, and we can do something about it. Yeah. Um, in terms of, I think particularly when I see young children and parents come in and, you know, they're not speaking, um, they're not responding to their name, all sorts of things. Sometimes it's, is there a developmental disorder or are there, is there a hearing problem? Hmm. What can be challenging is when parents want it to be a hearing problem because the alternative of it being a developmental or a social communication problem is more worrying for them. Mm -hmm. And for me as an audiologist, I have to work out what do I think parents want? Because depending on if they want it to be a hearing problem as opposed to a social communication development problem can depend on how I deliver my results. Yeah. Because some people are just relieved to find out that their child's hearing is normal. And some people are not relieved to find out that their child's hearing is normal because actually it means it's a problem that's longer term. Yeah. yeah. So 
you really have to uh, and the same can happen actually when you've got a profoundly deaf family i've been in a situation where i asked quite often I'll, I'll ask the family are you happy for your baby to be hearing or are you happy for it to be to be, for, for it to have you know significant be profoundly deaf or, or be be deaf like yourself some ba- some families want their child to be deaf as well mm, because that, they're living the life the same as they are yeah so you don't you just you know you just have to have that little bit of background to know how to deliver the news that that that's some challenges i've learned yeah and you know well i often sometimes talk about emotional intelligence and my definition is just what is it like to be on the receiving end of you mm-hmm. the way you are delivering your message the way you're having that self-awareness of so if i deliver my message i'm gonna i'm gonna kind of land this way and if i deliver my message this way it will land differently i suppose a question for you and i i can i can ask this knowing you perhaps do you appreciate the amount of kind of understanding and intelligence you have to even be able to to think about how you frame conversations with people because that you know not it takes a lot of self-awareness and understanding to kind of deliver those kind of you know those messages in those kind of high almost stressful situations I suppose I do now I probably didn't do when I started my journey Mm. I probably thought and I'm pretty sure I did that to tell somebody they've got normal hearing must be great news mm. and 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 I couldn't probably understand why people wouldn't think that was a good thing yeah um but actually there's there's more to to you know to our development and and everything than than just hearing and um no I, I think that's something you learn yeah. but it's something that maybe it would have been nice to have been told about earlier in my journey as a student so that I've got that awareness because I don't it, it's something that's dawned on me as time has gone by yeah and it's funny you say because I, I I often ask the question when people you know if if you did have your time again and obviously you you've got a kind of a vast amount of experience in the world of audiology but if you did have your time again and you, you know you were a young 16 18 year old Nicola like entering audiology and entering that that hospital like what what were some of the words of advice or what would you tell that that young Nicola if they were to enter the industry again? I think it would be just to experience as many different aspects of audiology as you can Mm -hmm. early on and broaden your horizons as much as you can so that you've got some knowledge of all the different aspects. Mm. Because you can... You know, go into your student's role uh, and, I mean, to be fair, it's different now. So the degree uh, training is different to how I did mine. But probably I settled in one department and stayed there because I lived near there. I loved the team and I stayed there for a long time. I didn't really venture out. Mm. Um, I took advantage of different opportunities within that local area and did different things. But I probably wish I'd gone to London, worked in some specialist centres early on. Um, if I if I did it again, that's what I'd do. Yeah. I nothing, nothing much more because I, you know, I thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed my career. I still enjoy my career, um, and I'm still keen to learn different things. But um, yeah, I think that would be that would be it. Nice. And just out of interest, what 
What do you think stops you from doing that and reaching out and going to London and kind of doing different things? What do you think stops you from from venturing further and wider? Um, I'm not just comfortable. Mm. You know, I can walk to work. I can still go out with my friends afterwards. Yeah. <laughs> I live nearby. Yeah. And I probably, yeah, I think that was it. I think I was just comfortable in what I was doing. Mm-hmm. Which is not a bad thing, to be fair. Because in audiology, it's quite funny, actually. Um, it, it's very difficult to recruit in audiology. You know, there are not enough audiologists coming through. So for us as, as recruiters now, we want to, to, to get people and mould them so they get married and live in the local area. They have children that go to school, and which means they don't leave. So I'm on the other end of that, that I want to, you know, to keep these people because they're comfortable and their work-life balance fits. Yes, yeah. Um, you know, it, it's funny. That's, that, that's the sort of discussions we have now. Like, well, how can we make these people stay? Like, let's make it really, you know. <laughs> and I think, I think, like, honestly, I think, well, first and foremost, it's fascinating. But, like, thank you for being so transparent because I think it, it actually really helps people to understand both sides of, of kind of the coin. And I think when you, as soon as you become a manager, and I, you know, we both kind of been had various kind of managerial positions. You look at the world and you look at recruitment and employment in a completely different way. So if you've only kind of sat one side of a table, as soon as you become a manager, you think about even when you then go for jobs, you think about things in a completely different way. And I think that bit about kind of venturing out of your comfort zone is absolutely golden, and it's something. And it often is when I've asked other people in terms of their careers and what advice they would have given, they're always pieces of advice that can kind of travel to any industry and any position. Mm-hmm. And that that is the thing, the biggest thing for me, you know, in terms of coaching and helping like people transition is rather than just like being happy with certain discomfort. So, you, you know, you're comfy, you've got your comfy slippers on, I always call it, you know, you know what you're getting, you might not have quite, you know, 80% of the role is what you enjoy, but, you know, you get it to work from home a little bit. You don't completely enjoy it, but it's comfy and it's, you know, it's easy. I can rock out of bed and get it to work in 10 minutes. You know, think of, like, do you really want to, like, look back in, like, 30, 40 years, God willing, that you live, and you think, oh, I lived a nice little comfy life and I just did my little job and I stayed in my little town. Like, you, you have no idea, and I think I posted this recently, like, humans beings have no idea of how much we're actually capable of doing mm. like you look at like people whether you believe it or not landing on the moon you look at bill gates you look at these people who built absolutely humongous companies from nothing we all of us mlk you look at injustice injustices and movements social movements they are all each and every one of us are capable of so much more but we just sit in our little comfort blanket with our comfy slippers and we not all of us have to be bill gates or jeff you know you know, do Apples and Amazons or MLKs, but we can do what we want in our own little life. And if that's actually just kind of broadening out, might be even living abroad for a month or sorting out our family and our wider network, then that's absolutely fine. You know, we don't have to do these kind of crazy things. But I think I, I just really chime with that that point in terms of like stepping outside of your comfort zone, and especially in those early years when you have, you know, if we if we're honest, less financial constraints could be housed. Mm-hmm children could be even animals like that's even a financial constraint really kind of stepping out your comfort zone and trying loads of different things and um, because that's a, like kind of it doesn't matter you can be 40 50 but especially in those early years you have yeah. far more kind of um access to kind of try different things and actually realize mm-hmm. what you like and don't like 
So, um, yeah, I, th- I think that's a great bit of advice. Um, I think you've turned out all right, Nicola, regardless <laughs> of that. Um, but what, what do you think? Do you th- I think you've had a, a good, a good, good innings. I've, I've thoroughly enjoyed it. I mean, you know, it'll be 35 years I've been doing it next month. Yeah. And I've still got another 15 years to go. And I thoroughly, you know, I still enjoy it. And I, I intend to still be within it until I retire. So, you know, can't be bad. I still wake up in the morning, look forward to go to work. Every day is different. Yeah. And um, I would thoroughly recommend it to anybody. Amazing. Amazing. And I think if there's, we kind of seek all this like happiness and all the rest of it and flashcards and all, all these things, which in my opinion kind of cover our insecurities. But if in terms of professional work, if we can wake up and look forward to going into work, I think that's so underrated. I think we, if we can just be content and happy, and I know that kind of might fly in the face of my get out your comfort zone and all the rest of it, but you know, you know deep down if you're in your comfort zone and you're not kind of pushing yourself and you're not learning or growing. But if you can get to the point where you're thinking, you know what, I'm happy with where I am, I'm really looking forward to kind of going into work, then that, that's an amazing place to be. And yeah. before we kind of pull our session to a close, I suppose, and I just wondered, is there anything we haven't covered, I suppose? Like we've talked a, a lot about requirements, what an average week, your own background. Is there anything we haven't covered that you would like to discuss in, in terms of audiology? Yeah, just one thing. I think what I haven't mentioned is the fact that not only can you work for the NHS, you can work in the private sector and you can be self-employed and you can start up your own business. So I think that's another, you know, and I've done both. So I've, I'm, I work for the NHS and I'm, I'm self-employed as well. So you can you can branch out, you can have your eggs in different baskets, you can get your income from different sources. Um, and, you know, then I think, you know, it, it also future proofs yourself. Um, yeah. If one thing doesn't work out well, you've got another thing to fall back on. So yeah. I think, you know, in terms of income, as you were saying, you can work as hard as you like and you can earn some good money if you want to put the hours in. Um, and if you want to spread yourself out. So there is there is earning potential, particularly if you set up your own business and that sort of thing as well. So I think it, that, you know, it, it's as big as you want it to be. Yeah, yeah. And I, that's a really good point, I suppose, to, to raise as well, especially um, in the careers, in terms of how careers has kind of changed the whole, you know, you find a job and stay there for 30, 40 years. I think that shifted from you stay at a job for 30, 40 years to you find a job and you kind of, you swap position, not necessarily like a company, but you might swap position every one or two years. Well, I think that's even shifted even more now to in terms of portfolio careers. Mm-hmm. So it's not just staying at one job for one to two years. It's actually working in one to two different places, having multiple sources of income. And I think if anything, COVID has accelerated or that, that kind of growth to portfolio careers. Because if you're relying on just one income, you know, yes, you think it's a stable job and all the rest of it. But if anything was to happen, and obviously we're hoping a something an event like COVID doesn't happen anytime soon or ever again, but you're completely gone. You're, you're all your security is gone because of that one income. Whereas, like you said, if there's multiple, you're self-employed or you work a little bit as a practice or uh, as a wider employer, you know, there's multiple streams, and it not only allows you to be more entrepreneurial. But it also actually gives you more security because there's, there's multiple avenues. Um, yeah. So I think that's a really, really good point to add just for, for people who are thinking, oh, I'm just going to be stuck working for NHS, just one place, that's it. Yeah. It's not the case. No. no. Perfect. No. 
So thank you for your time, uh, Nicola, and, and for being so transparent and honest and kind of sharing your, your in experience around the, the world of audiology. And, and if anybody wanted to kind of get in touch and was perhaps interested and just wanted to have a kind of quick chat with, with yourself, um, where, where's the best place for them to, to reach out to you? I think contact me on LinkedIn. Yep, perfect. Yeah, just look up Nicola Yarnall and um, you'll find me. Happy to help. Beautiful. Good stuff. And I'll, I'll make sure to include a link to, to Nicola's uh, LinkedIn in the show notes. So if anyone kind of wants to reach out and is interested in audiology, uh, and if you live in Essex, she might snoop you up. She might sweep <laughs> you up. She's thinking, oh, I want that comfy person. You've heard, be careful. You've heard what Nicola said now. She got forewarning. <laughs> She's going to make you not comfy. <laughs> I'm going to up a dating agency. I'm going to do everything. <laughs> there you go. There you go. So thank you for your time, Nicola. Thank um, you. And, and hopefully that was a, a, another kind of useful and insightful uh, episode for those who are listening. Um, and I look forward to uh, seeing you and hearing you on the next episode of Catapult Your Career. Cheers all. Oh.